0: And what I'm really trying to do is help them engage in terms of answer three basic questions: where are they are right now, what do they have, what are their incomes, what they do? what where do they want to be, uh, in, in the future, and what are the tools and what are they willing to do to make to make those changes to make those, that future come into fruition.
1: Hello, hello, hello! This is Gretch from the
2: I Am CEO podcast, and I appreciate you listening to this episode. And if you've been listening this year, you know that we hit 1,600 episodes at the beginning of this year. <laughs> And we're doing something a little bit different where we're repurposing our favorite episodes around certain categories, topics, or as I like to call them, business pillars that we think are going to be extremely impactful for CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business owners, or what I like to call the CV Nation architects, those that are looking to level up their organizations. And this month, we are focusing on knowing thy numbers. I could hear the phrases from Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank. And if you understand or don't understand exactly what numbers is, think finance, economics, accounting, capital, investment, funding, bootstrapping, anything that's around numbers. So, we have to understand how important it is to know your numbers and how important that is for you to forecast, make decisions, and to be able to truly strategize around your business and do that successfully. So things are going to be a little bit different, obviously, this month. So look for CEO hacks and CEO nuggets and interviews that focus around this. But more than everything else, make sure that you know your numbers because they're extremely important to the life of your business. Hello, hello, hello! This is Gresh from the IMCO podcast, and I have a very special guest on the show today of Chris Jackson. I'm sorry, Chris Jackson of LionShare Partners. Chris, it's awesome to have you on the show. Gresh, thanks for having me. No problem. Super excited to have you on. And what I wanted to do was just read a little bit more about Chris so you can hear about all the awesome things that he's doing. And Chris is the founder of Lion Share Partners, a trusted financial planning firm. He draws on a decade of multidisciplinary experience to help high net worth individuals and small business owners solve their financial challenges. Prior to founding Lion Prior to founding LionShare, Chris helped manage over $300 million of individual and institutional assets and held senior roles at multiple globally recognized investment firms. As an entrepreneur, speaker, and media personality, Chris has been featured in several news outlets such as CNN, Huffington Post, Wall Street Journal, and The Washington Post. He currently serves as a board member of the nonprofit Strive LA, a mini campus for Los Angeles inner city youth. He also serves as a market analyst for the iHeartRadio podcast City Watch on the air. Chris, are you ready to speak to the IMCO community? I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. Let's do it. So the first question I had was to hear a little bit more about what I call your CEO story and what led you to start your business.
0: Yeah, I've been in the, in the in the personal finance field for about 10 years, serving both sides on the sales and client acquisition side, all the way to the client service and delivering of the financial planning models. And over the last couple of years prior to me launching my firm in, 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 in 2017, I was I didn't like the direction that I saw what was going in the industry with a lot of private equity firms buying up, uh, investment management firms, moving the prices up, making it very tough for financial advisors to have a really healthy, engaged conversation because the book got too big to handle. Mm-hmm. Instead of a, a two-hour face-to-face meeting with a client, you're moving it down to a, in a 30-minute virtual conversation. You really can't go in-depth and provide what you want to provide. So that kind of led me to, to, to look to alternatives in terms of what can I do with my own time, with my own abilities and skill sets. And thankfully, there was organizations out there that helpful in providing and launching my my wealth management firm, Lineshare, to the point where now I can serve my own book of business. I can be more flexible in who I bring in. One thing that's very tough in the wealth management firm is you can find a fantastic family that can use your help, but due to some impossible hurdle or some hard hurdle, like they must have a million dollars invested with you, you end up t- no and turn down some pretty good clients and, you know, except in some clients are just chasing the return. They're not really trying to engage with you on a personal level.
2: They're trying to almost hope that they can roll the dice with you like a casino and get a big payout based on market returns. That makes perfect sense. And I definitely appreciate you for starting your own organization, your company, because a lot of times you get to help out, which I think sometimes you sometimes forget, but you being able to do that from a line share standpoint, but also from a board member as well, you really get the opportunity to make an impact. Absolutely, and one thing that's very that's important for me is
0: one that wasn't a lot of African Americans in our field. Bottom line, that's always been an issue in the finance industry. And though there's been many programs and outreach programs, and Bank of America, and Wells Fargo, uh, all launched minority women based programs to get more representation, it's there's still a huge gap there. And what makes it different, difficult for on the African American side is that we don't have our own unified language. If you know, IPL and Latin Americans and Asian Americans, where they can consolidate into, I speak this language, therefore I have a stronghold on this community. Mm -hmm. For us, it's always been, uh, for African Americans, it's always been a lack of access to prudent financial literacy and education that that has led to some of the the huge uh, inequality gaps. So one thing I like to do with Strive and one thing I'm working on right now with a director and and writer, Christina Cooper, is a a financial literacy program called Wokonomics, where we go into some of these underserved communities. And talk to the school district and talk to some of the high-performing seniors that are graduating and say, hey, this is what you're not learning in school, this is what you're not learning in college, but this is going to prove to be the building blocks for your success if you want to be an entrepreneur. Or if you want to, if you want to not go the college
2: route. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit more on how you're serving your clients and what you feel like is your secret sauce and sets you apart.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What makes me separate is I have what I call retail and I have a full service solution. And the retail, what I'm looking to launch is it's called Cash Fit University. And there's a lot of do-it-yourselfers out there who just want a little bit of nudge and a little bit of guidance, but they don't want a full-on relationship with me. But they want a place where they can find source material, updated material on all kinds of different financial planning topics, from college planning to tax planning, estate planning, to insurance analysis. And, and what I want this university to be is a place where people can pick up where the public schools should really be starting and provide that full, comprehensive financial planning education for yourself. And once you get a sense of that basic education, then you can start asking questions in terms of, hey, do I really need to engage in a financial planner? Do I even enjoy doing this? Do I have the time? the technology, the discipline to do it myself. Uh, and from there, you can say, you know what? The retail gave me some insight, but I really want the full service. And that's when you really engage with me on a one-on-one basis. And for most clients that I-, I deal with, their- they're either small business owners, retirees. I work for a lot of attorneys and young professionals. And what I'm really trying to do is have them engage in terms of entry three basic questions. Where are they are right now? What do they have? What are their incomes? What do they do? What- where do they want to be? Uh, in, in the future, and what are the tools and what are they willing to do to make those changes to make the, that future come into fruition? And if we can't get a line on those three, and the first one really is not much alignment, it, it, it's just your balance sheet. But the other two components, if we can't really align on that, then my job is to help you find someone that, that could be a good source for you on the financial planning side. Because not, every, not everyone's a good fit for me, and that's for most businesses. Um, but the retail solution along with the full service, that's kind of my, what, what sets me different, at least.
2: i usually trying to find a way I can help you. Nice. I definitely appreciate that. And it seems like in this way that businesses, and I guess people really have dictated this, is that a lot of times there's certain solutions that people want or they're looking for. They know, maybe not necessarily know exactly what they're looking for, but they might have, like you mentioned, the time to be able to do it, but they may not have the, the actual resources or knowledge to be able to do that. So being able to fit into whatever mode somebody might have is definitely a great example of a secret sauce and appreciate you for sharing that with us. Absolutely. No problem. And I wanted to switch gears a little bit. And I wanted to ask you for what I call a CEO hack. And this might be an app, a book or a habit that you have, but it's something that makes you more effective and efficient.
0: Yeah, I have a couple, but the one, one I, I, I like a lot is called Feedly, F-E-E-D-L-Y. And that is a way for me to consolidate all the different media sources that I'm interested in, whether it's real estate or economics, investment, markets, trade policies, and it can take what's important at, at, and current and then go ahead and repurpose that through my social media channels. So I don't have to spend too much time fishing through what I want to talk about. I already have these filters preset and they do a good job of just updating me of what I can push out. So I send out about five articles a day on my LinkedIn page, on Facebook, and to have it already preset in terms of how I create that is important. And then I use another app called Buffer where I can set out for the whole entire week those 25, 30, 30 articles so they're already scheduled to go. And that kind of does all of my outsourcing, all of my... Because again, my job is to position myself as an expert and to be ahead of what's current, but also make sure I have enough content pushed out. Um, because you, you never know when someone's going to chime in on LinkedIn or Facebook or actually catch you on an article. So you got to be consistent
2: But you also got to have some compelling and interesting things that people can click on talk to you. Absolutely. No, I love both of those hacks just because a lot of times I usually always say the name of the game is visibility. So being and knowing everything, but no one not knowing of you or of your organization doesn't really help out. So you have to balance that both. And like you mentioned, the consistency aspect of making sure you're pushing out and having that valuable content that's being sent out to to the internet, so to speak, allows you to get that opportunity to be front of mind and be positioned as that expert person to call and go to. Absolutely. Nice. And now I wanted to ask you for what I call a CEO nugget, and this is a word of wisdom or piece of advice. or if you can happen to a time machine, what would you tell your younger business self? Oh, that's a good question.
0: I would have told my younger self to remove toxic relationships earlier on. whether that is uh, friends that, uh, that, that we have grown apart from, that were being leeches of your time, relationships that weren't really allowing me to perform the way I needed to perform. And I would replace those with key uh, key members that are actually going to push you to help you grow. One of, the, one of the best things I did was I joined a, a lawyer basketball league. I'm not an attorney, but I joined a lawyer basketball league as a, uh, just as a whim because my friend wanted me to do it. And in doing so, I made contacts with about twenty to thirty different attorneys. So when I eventually left my firm to launch my own firm, I got sued, mm-hmm. and they were asking for a substantial amount of money. And due to the fact that I had this relationship, this network, I was able to utilize them, and I, then I, and I had the firepower I needed to wiggle myself out of that lawsuit with ease. And it wasn't if it wasn't for me to break away from my own small network, push into a larger network, I wouldn't have the capacity to actually be able to get to where I'm right now without paying a substantial amount of money. So getting rid of the toxic people in your circle and replace them with people that can actually help you, uh, capacity to grow as a person and learn new
2: things and keep you driven and pushed is something that I wish I could tell myself when I was 18. Nice. I definitely appreciate you for sharing that with us because a lot of times, and I heard a lot of different nuggets within that. That that really big nugget is that a lot of times we, as people, and sometimes I start to understand this a lot more as I get older, is that you start to grow apart from maybe who might have been your friend ten years ago, or might have been somebody you spent all your time with, whatever that is. And as you evolve and grow, and as you start to have different goals, you have to evolve with that, and being able to kind of open yourself up and get out of your comfort zone to go to different, like you said, groups or it might be a basketball league or whatever it is, it allows you other opportunities that may pay off in ways you never would have thought of in the short term. Exactly. As in, now, I wanted to ask you my absolute favorite question, which is the definition of what it means to be a CEO. And we're hoping to have different, quote unquote, CEOs on this show. So Chris, what does being a CEO mean to you?
0: For me, it's personal IP. It's the ability to, at any point in time, create intellectual property for yourself and your business. The one thing I didn't like about... The wealth management firm, and even in a lot of corporate America, is how they suppress your individuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, the image has to be the company. The image has to be what they project, and that you yourself and you, your individual strengths, and your, what you provide to the community and what you provide to your clients has to be suppressed for what is the image of the company. Even if you have a better solution or a better way to deliver a service, uh, generally that gets squashed or gets lost in, in red rent- hey, tape, lost in bureaucracy and you never really get a chance to actually implement those things, but having your own company means you get to you have your own personal IP. I can present what I want my story to be at all times to myself, to my clients, to the community, and that's the most important thing that you could actually. I think you could possibly do when start your own company is having that versus going to corporate.
2: Absolutely. I appreciate that definition and personal IP and being able to control the narrative rather than you could in other avenues is definitely huge and a big part of being a CEO. So I appreciate you for sharing that with us and that definition was spot on. So Chris, I truly appreciate your time. What I wanted to do was pass you the mic, so to speak, just to see if there's anything additional you can let our readers and listeners know. And then of course, how best they can get a hold of you.
0: Absolutely. I would say one thing is that the word personal finance uh, and and a financial advisor it's become a term of art. And there's a term called fiduciary, which is very important that I want to make sure that anyone works with when they're working with a financial planner or financial advisor is that they work with someone that's a fiduciary. And what I mean by that is someone that's not going to be selling you products, like we sell you commission, that their conflict of interest, their gain in the transaction is you buying something. The gain in the transaction needs to be that they are able to transform your life through advice. And there are fee. For service planners, flat fee retainer financial planners. And those are the ones you should be working with because at least they know at the beginning of the day that you're paying them for their advice. And no, no matter what you do out, outside that, they are not going to get an additional pay for that. So their advice is tied to what's
2: best for you and if not, what's best for the wallets. Absolutely. That makes sense. And do so you want somebody who is a fiduciary, correct? Yes. Nice, nice, nice. And people that want to actually reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? They can go to chrisojackson.com. That's C-H-R-S, letter
0: dot com, Or they can reach out to me at org. Awesome,
2: awesome, awesome. We'll have those links and that information as well in the show notes. So Chris, I truly appreciate your time. Appreciate all the awesome things that you're doing. I hope you have a great rest of the day. Christian, you for having me. Appreciate it.